Oh, I know you're very disappointed. There's no Kion Wolf. She had to go home sick, uh, so uh, we're without her today. But we have a fabulous news I'll set up for you. And I have to tell you, it seems, I don't know, it's almost as though they knew that we were lying in wait for them because um, they've, uh, uh, when I say they, I mean, of course, they with a capital T. Uh, we're always looking for things to talk about. We had a lot of choices this week, but then. I mean, really, just within minutes of now or so, it moved across the wires that John Kerry has showed up in Paris as this kind of make-up visit for the uh, failure of the United States to be present uh, at the big rally uh, over the weekend, uh, the Charlie Hebdo rally over the weekend. Uh, he showed up in Paris with James Taylor. I mean, I don't think this was like really announced. Or I'm, I was I was not aware that this was happening, and I don't. I've polled um, people in my immediate vicinity. They did not know this was happening. And then in this kind of low rent looking kind of thing, I mean, I don't. They're, they're sitting at stools at Paris City Hall, and James Taylor played "You've Got a Friend." And I don't know. We may have to talk about this later. We just I didn't have time to prepare the panelists about it because it just it's that new. But um, apparently, we we think our pop stars. And I don't know if he's available for other stuff. Like if you screw up, you know, you don't go to something you're supposed to go to, whether he'll come with you a week later and and try to make things better. But uh, if we have time, we'll talk about that. But we're going to start with the Oscars, but we're going to start even before that by telling you who the actual nose panelists are today, Uh, starting with Teresa Kramer. She is one of the founders of The Cut, an online magazine for the rapidly aging young adults of Connecticut Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, and embittered and gripe-laden on this particular occasion. (laughs) Not necessarily. (laughs) Tanisha Dugan is with us. Tanisha Dugan is uh, from Heartbeat Ensemble. uh, And from Trinity Cine Studio, uh, James Hanley is with us. We are going to be talking at the beginning about the Oscar nominations of yesterday. Then we'll move along to lumbersexuals and amosexuals and our tendency apparently now to use that suffix to identify all kinds of – who knows what's coming next. Uh, And if we have time, we'll talk about – uh, sending glitter to people that you hate. Maybe we'll. I, maybe we should say something about James Taylor. I, I don't know. Uh, I have things that I want to say. About I want to know why they think James Taylor is still relevant enough to be sending him out on like <laughs> on ambassadorial missions. Well, you can't show up with like you can't show up with Chris Brown. I mean, you really, you know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he may be very rough. He's like the common familiar. <laughs> right. Common familiar, exactly. And he may, maybe he's like Jerry Lewis, too. People may be, yeah, may have this whole other relationship. That's right. That's right. Uh, David Hasselhoff over there. All right. So, no, Katie Tularski, who is now uh, running the board today in the absence of Kyron Wolf, is upset uh, with any negative things being said about James Taylor. I, I mean, I, I, li- I like James Taylor a lot. I just, it wouldn't occur to me as part of an ambassadorial overture <laughs> as Secretary of State having screwed something up, that the solution would be to bring James Taylor. <laughs> it's uh, important to know that we're friends. You cannot be friends. mad. <laughs> we are very friendly. Uh, yeah, maybe that is. You just can't get mad. You, can't, mm-hmm. you, just, uh, you would seem like a grumpy Parisienne. That's right. If you said, well, I'm, <laughs> I don't care what he sings, I'm still angry. Uh, <laughs> you, you would confirm everybody's worst suspicions uh, about the par- Parisian temperament. Uh, all right. So it uh, looks like we do have things to say about this. But first, <laughs> the Academy Awards were announced yesterday. They are already notorious for their lack of racial diversity. And when I say lack of racial diversity, I mean it's just all white people. Uh, it's like really all white people. Uh, and uh, there, are, there are other things that people are grumping about. There are even some things to be happy about. They are kind of a Rorschach blot. I mean, they're not really important all by themselves, but they do sort of give us a chance to kind of start conversations about how we feel about movies right now, the movies we've seen. 
uh, and and whatever the sort of the underlying subtext is. Um, so, uh, Tanisha Dugan, I'm gonna, so what I said, thought we would do first is because people's gripes about Academy Award nominations are usually far more interesting uh, <laughs> than the things that they're happy about. Although I think Tanisha and I might be happy about the same thing, and we'll come to that. But so, Tanisha, give us your gripe. Um, my gripe is for the first time in years. I didn't care much about any movie <laughs> that was in the running, um, with the exception of Selma. But I guess that's like sort of like a prerequisite as a <laughs> actor of color. You must be somewhat interested in the major motion picture that is directed by black female and all of that. So my gripe is my annual gripe, which is that the films don't reflect the things that we watch or the things that are interesting to all folk. Mm-hmm. Um, what film would you have added or subtracted? Uh, or, you or know, my favorite Snowpiercer. Really? Well, I mean, this is you made your debut on the show. Uh, really? You, you think Snowpiercer? At least Tilda. At least you Tilda for, for Snowpiercer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved her. See, yeah, but you're right. You're, you know, everybody expects you as an African-American actor to throw a fit about Selma. Selma got a Best Picture nomination, right. but that's mm-hmm. about it. You know, I mean, yeah. it was really, you know, I mean, the guy playing Martin Luther King, whose name I don't, the last name I don't pronounce very well, uh, did not get nominated. The director did not. She didn't get nominated, right? Um, no, she did not. So, And I mean, that's the real crime, really. Yeah. I mean, she pushed that movie through after Lee Daniels sort of uh, pulled out. Um, and that's amazing and that she is doing what she and the work that she's done I mean Middle of Nowhere I loved mm-hmm. I loved Middle of Nowhere I mean to tell a story that isn't about a civil rights icon mm-hmm. <laughs> like a black story that doesn't just follow our history I mean she's she's incredible and but to say nothing of the fact in the history of the Academy Awards they have not nominated an right. African American woman for best director right. so this would have been kind of a nice chance to do it um, I mean they had to go out of their way to not do it this time when they, <laughs> right, they right, had the ball was right. all teed up for them right. which seems kind of strange alright James what's your gripe well I mean I, I you may just... have many gripes is it <laughs> well actually I won't say anything about Interstellar yet I'll bring that, bring that <laughs> on later but um, I uh, it, just uh, an interesting thing about the Academy is that, that it seems that in uh, having such a uh, an extraordinary uh, sort of absence of, uh, of of diversity in the nominees is something that almost looks like well we did black last year and um, it, it really is kind of like a venal commercial thing almost that mm-hmm. you know okay we did that and so that will that that covers it for now um, and I think that there are all sorts of interesting issues that that raises about how films get funded. And how somebody like uh, – well, I, I mean in the case of Selma, it, I think it had actually four directors. Uh, there were yeah, four come directors in yep. come in and out and uh, it, it was a film that uh, the big uh, distributors, the big producers weren't, weren't really interested in. And then um, uh, finally Oprah Winfrey gets involved and uh, you know there's money, real money behind it. And um, Ava DuVernay is like, uh, I mean, uh, listening to her speak is just extraordinary mm-hmm. to me that her understanding and her sense of nuance, you know, this is the actual, this is the essence of being a director and understanding the subject matter of what you're doing when you're making, uh, when you're making a film. And I think it's a shame that, that that hasn't been recognized and it seems to have been marginalized. Um, and I think that the whole nature of the Academy Awards uh, 
is, is, is each time when you t when you talk about gripes, I mean, I wouldn't say that I have gripes beyond that in a sort of general sense. It's really the sort of power system of the studios, really, that that d dictates this, which of course is a um, is an example of how commercial sort of taints the art, as it were. And so somebody with really good ideas doesn't always get through. And then you combine it with some of the things that were revealed in the in the Sony emails mm -hmm. about at racial attitudes and, and sort of cynicism amongst producers. And of course, a lot of people don't realize how important agents are <laughs> in terms of Absolutely. how people get jobs and, and how these films get made. And so... Uh, there's a sort of like uh, in the background that sort of sense of unease, I think, about how these decisions get made and, and whether the hierarchy within agencies. I mean, yeah, everyone yeah. is represented by the big four. It's not like, you know, Ava has got a, a small agent that isn't in the game, but yeah. it's about where you fall within that system. Right. It's kind of like a pecking order. And, the, right. and, and, and there's also you've got to be, as, say, as a black woman, for instance, you've got to be conscious of the fact that there's people in the background making disparaging remarks about black people in movies. And it, it, it does seem like a really piece a piece of really bad timing. To sound, yes. I don't know mm -hmm. exactly what the sequence of things are, but to have those emails come out where yes. mm -hmm. these producers were, uh, these executives uh, and producers yeah. uh, were talking at Sony, you know, very simplistically and, and in a very reductive way about President Obama and what movies yeah. that he, he would like. Exactly. Um, to do that and then just kind of blow off Selma and not have any, you know. And this is something that, you know, people in the industry, um, and I feel the same myself, is that people knew this all along. Mm -hmm. And this was finally the evidence, you right. know, that this actually was true. And of course, it's been true all along. It's been true of women. It's been true of black people, gay people in Hollywood. It's, and so the voters on the academy, in the academy, many of them are people sort of protecting a lost, gone order, as it mm -hmm. were. And so this is the result. All right, Teresa, you get to do your gripe. Well, um, one of the things I've been thinking about is how this reinforces my idea about pretty much all, all awards in that they are out of touch and irrelevant when it comes to what we actually like and what we watch. And it, it just reinforces all those ideas people already have, even though the rest of us are sitting around going like, hey, what, what happened? But uh, my gripe would be for Wild, my specific movie <laughs> <laughs> that I um, I don't know if I necessarily think it's one of the best movies ever made, but I do think as long as people are being left out of the awards, uh, you know, women are on that list and Wild could have been Wild could have been up there. They had what two, three extra spots this year, right? They yeah. just that they didn't that use they for, just for best didn't picture. Use. So Wild, mm -hmm. which is the story, uh, you came in and promoted the book one day, right? I did, yeah, yeah. yeah as mm -hmm. first one of your endorsements. Wild, which Reese Witherspoon plays uh, the uh, real life uh, story of a, a woman on kind of a, a personal quest, or actually, why don't you sum? Why am I summarizing Wild? Well, she hikes the Pacific Crest Trail after a series of bad events. She loses her mother. She become not a serious heroin addict, but she's using heroin and having lots of sex with strangers. And she decides that in order to get back to being the person her, as she puts it, the, the person her mother raised, she's going to hike the Pacific Crest Trail completely sort of without any real preparation. And Reese Witherspoon bought, was the only one with the foresight to buy the rights to the book and uh, sort of pushed it through like Ava DuVernay did. She did not direct it, though. Um, and so 
I, I forget which movie they were comparing it to, but it was actually seen quite a bit more than one of the – at least one of the other movies that got nominated. I, I, although I do want to say mm-hmm. – and, and James, I, I'd love your uh, feedback on this because I know that we both had a pretty strong relationship w- with this other movie. I don't think the Academy likes these sort of human – one human being against nature <laughs> yeah. movies. Yeah. And All is Lost, which was up last year and Robert Redford gave this incredible performance and it really yeah. was a movie – that had a lot of things going on in it, like, like a lot. Despite the fact there was only one person in it, they're missing a, Tom Hanks. Yeah, yeah. 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 that was the problem. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it got. I mean, Redford gave this incredible performance, and really the movie got nothing. You know, I just think they don't yeah. like these for some reason. I think there is that sort of feeling, and you get that sense if you look down the years of things that they, they, there's something that is uh, it, the ensemble movie or the movie that's going to get best director, best actor, best actress. It's like this. Uh, it's looking for the sort of massive sort of uh, over overwhelming uh, cultural storm that's come mm-hmm. that everybody pays attention to this is the film it's the uh, it's the film of the year and everybody's paying attention to and i think that in many ways those films that are about individuals um, who are fighting against something they contain a sort of disturbing element that i don't think really plays into the even the the whole nature of the Academy Awards ceremony itself, and mm-hmm. sort of what you raised, uh, Teresa, about um, the 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 nature of awards shows generally. But somehow there's something disturbing always underneath the surface. Like I think that that Reese Witherspoon's character is a really complex character and a woman. Mm -hmm. And um, Robert Redford in All is Lost is a complex character that you're not really sure of. He's older. He's a matinee idol who's now looking – very like an old man and uh, it, it containing a lot of sort of disturbing things that don't quite play into the uh, expectations of something that is a feel-good movie. And I can see that, uh, you know, Wild is disturbing. I think I think the book was disturbing to some people, mm-hmm. you know. I, I think that it, I think it's amazing. I think Reese, and I, I, I like Reese Witherspoon's attempt to sort of do what she likes to do in movies. I mean, mm-hmm. she's done a lot of stuff and she's stuck with her with her guns and she doesn't if she doesn't get what she wants she finds a way to raise the money and Mm -hmm. so she doesn't kowtow to these powers that be um, I, you know, I don't know if I'm entitled to a gripe or not. And I don't have a really big one this year. I mean, the <laughs> ones that everybody's talked about so far make a certain amount of sense to me. Um, well, if I had a gripe, it's that, you know, the Academy Award, one thing we know they do like, they kind of like British biopics, right? I mean, they, <laughs> you know, they, they've always kind of liked British biopics. And so they had so many to choose from this year. So yeah. they had The Theory of Everything with Eddie, Eddie Redmayne playing Stephen Hawking. Uh, they had um, the, the Imitation Game with Benedict Cumberbatch uh, playing uh, Alan Turing. Uh, I happen to, I'm a big Turing nut. I mean, I'm and I'm, I wasn't very happy with that movie. I, I think it's kind of not really what it it, it should have been. And, and as a result, this movie, which I've seen, which nobody else in Hartford probably has seen, Mr. Turner with uh, Timothy Spall as as the painter J M W Turner, which it, I, I think might be the best British biopic <laughs> of the year. Right. But it's like you know, they already used up all that oxygen. So um, I it's mean, also probably a disturbing kind of film for a lot of people because of its reality. It's it's sort of like a it uh, Turner has a kind of um, uh, edgy sort of quality. Of about somebody who's a great artist but is not a good communicator, not a particularly likable person, um, and very complex. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's yeah, way too close. <laughs> so that yeah, you know, I I thought of a, a, a gripe, you know, that actually is a, is one I'd like to raise. One is um, in the imitation game, uh, the the story of Turing uh, is an interesting one because to make the story interesting. 
it implies the nature of a, a closeted gay person who was self-hating, and he wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, his life was destroyed by people who destroyed him because he was gay, mm -hmm. not because he hated himself. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, these things are, are, are often, um, you know, it, it's amazing that you think that, I mean, there are a lot of gay people and lesbians who work, gay men and lesbians who work in the industry. You'd think that with so many people there that people would be conscious of something that's so correct like that. That's my refrain for the day. Uh, it's too close. It's too, <laughs> it's close. too close. Again, and, and then one last thing is the release on, on DVD of Pride, the mm. British film about the um, gay activists mm. who uh, supported uh, who, who uh, supported the miners' strike during the Thatcher era. They actually airbrushed or uh, photoshopped the cover of that to remove all of the signs that indicated that it was gay people. In other words, wow. all what? the triangles, everything. I mean, it's totally ludicrous. This is the core of the story. But somebody <laughs> with the, the, the film company decided, oh, well, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, Disney didn't even let anybody know that Into the Woods was a musical, uh, <laughs> as, was, okay. as was pointed out to me on this right. show. So uh, nobody has brought up the Lego movie, which is, did not even get – did you see the Lego movie? I did not yes, see the Lego movie. Yes, no, I yes, yes. Um, I just heard it was amazing. But that's I an amazing not. film. Yeah, yes. lots of good things. Nonstop, uh, like start to finish. It's a – Great film. It's not even nominated as best anime. It's got best song or something yeah. like that. Uh, which I, I find that uh, astonishing. I yes. mean, I I had maybe a slight. I didn't. I should have seen it at Trinity. I should have seen it on a big screen because I think you need to do that in order to you know to realize you the do have to values. see it on a big screen. Yeah, yes. because otherwise it's like you know. I have a question. So obviously the Academy votes, but who decides who gets nominated? How does a how does a movie get nominated or not? That's also done by vote. That's done by vote. So of everybody the Academy votes members. and whoever gets the most. Oh. But I think the, the, the only sort of wrinkles are things like the technical awards are right. by people within right. the trade. Right, mm -hmm. right, right. But the, the, you know, there's a lot of politicking, obviously, that goes on, but also mm -hmm. a lot of mechanics to it. Like one of the theories about Selma, there's a bunch of theories about Selma, including mm -hmm. there's a kind of a historical dispute going. I mean, were they really, mm -hmm. you know, kind of in, 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 inaccurate <laughs> about, right. jo about Johnson? Uh, and... But also some questions about whether they got the DVDs out in the right format and whether they had the right kinds of screenings at the right time. Did enough of the people who needed to see it see it? Um, right, because it only came out on Christmas Day, right? Except it's, that it's historically like... most Best Picture winners come out in oh, yeah. that time frame. But, right. So it's a little – And the well, Academy you know. members get the uh, get the discs early. Yeah. Yeah. I mean they get them way early. But I've read some questions about whether or not – in particular whether Selma handled that whole thing with, That's the, right. with yeah. the discs mm -hmm. and stuff like that, yeah. whether that got done right. I mean who knows? Let's talk about some things. I, I think there are some things to be happy about. And uh, at minimum, Tanisha uh, and I <laughs> oh, can Grand be happy. Oh, Budapest. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Here in Tweeland, it's like just a happy day. That, I mean, I, I really didn't think Grand Budapest Hotel. I questioned whether it would be a Best Picture nominee. It seemed like it probably would. I certainly didn't expect it to get a lot of nominations. This is a film well, it came out in the summer, yeah. which is sort of one of the things that it was impressive that it was remembered. Mm -hmm. but yeah. Well, it was cool. one of those chess pieces at the beginning of the summer, which was in order to sort of see if it could fill in that shoulder season before the summer blockbusters. And amazingly, it held on. Mm. So it had some space. Um, I do feel as though, I mean, Wes Anderson, if you like Wes Anderson, I mean, you're obviously um, catapulted <laughs> into this certain category and it's, you know, Tina Fey at the Golden Globe said that he showed up for the awards on a bicycle made of old, old tuba right. parts. And, you know, that's sort of like the, 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 the cliche. But, I mean, I really do think it's actually a brilliant movie. I've now seen oh, it. So I'm great. embarrassed to say I've seen it three times now. <laughs> I think it's just a, this incredible, incredibly brilliant movie about gaiety 
contrasted against the the buildup right. to uh, the war in Middle Europe, and it's just you know it gets both of those things, and it's in a very comic sort of Marx Brothers kind of way. Yeah, it, it really sort of you know shoves those two things together. Like, how do you stay bright and gay and happy? Um, when the worst possible thing in the world, when when Europe is about to become, in the words of Ray Fiennes' character, a, a giant slaughterhouse. Um, and just I, I, the more I watch it, the more I like it, yeah. which is not. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think that's. A, I think it's a, one of those films that comes along. What What is remarkable is how well remembered it is mm-hmm. after coming out so earlier in the year, and um, it it really is extraordinary. It, it's a it's a flowering too of so many things coming together, the the artwork, the people in it who clearly wanted to work with Wes Anderson would do anything, you know, even just to, for a, for a four-minute part. Mm-hmm. And and the also one of my favorite things is in, is that it plays with its technical formats as well and, mm. and the music, everything about it. It does one of the things you had, we had talked about with Boyhood, which it sort of is that ensemble film with a bunch of actors who really love the director exactly, yes. and want to come and back. They're and they're having fun doing yeah. it. Yes, yeah. And it shows. It yeah. shows. So uh, if you uh, – all of you had to give uh, a Best Picture Award to the movies that you've seen so far this year, which is obviously not all of them. I mean I've been sort of running around trying to catch up, but I haven't done that great a job. I don't know. Teresa Kramer, you go first. What would you what, do? Does it have to be nominated or no, is it no, just no, of the movies no. I've seen so far Go ahead. Pick oh, anything. That's, well, I, I don't see that many movies, so it's going to be like, – I saw Birdman and Boyhood and Wild. But did you see did you see Birdhood and Boyman? Those are also. <laughs> oh no, I really no, missed no. that. It's on about that. Batman as a young yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, as I we were talking, and I I did not like Boyhood very much because I'm a lady mm-hmm. and I don't care about his Boyhood. Um, <laughs> and, but well, uh, then, then, <laughs> then I don't care about Wild because it's just some lady walking around with a backpack. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we're going to be. But I don't know. I I think I probably like Birdman a little better than I like Wild just in terms of its sheer weirdness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'd give them – give him a prize. Well, it's Mm -hmm. definitely one of the front runners. How about you, Mm -hmm. Tanisha? Um, I guess don't I'd say have Snowpiercer. To... No, no, I wouldn't <laughs> say Snowpiercer. Um, <laughs> I guess Grand Budapest. Um, I had a baby, so I haven't yeah. seen <laughs> anything. Yeah. It's just been really, uh, except the back of his head and right. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> so, um, but I did because I was so excited by that trailer. I forced myself to to see Grand Budapest, so I'd have to throw that one in. All right. Uh, and obviously you're just going to be living on Netflix and Amazon Instant for a while anyway. So. <laughs> I think so. But I'm uh, watching TV on those. Yeah. So you can, you can see Boyhood now on Amazon Instant. I mean, it's like, I think it's five bucks or something. I'm sort of like Teresa on that. <laughs> yeah, right. You're not even going to bother. It, it, it is the death of men. We, uh, it is. We're, we're, this is going to come back up when we talk about lover sexuals. But anyway. Um, so James, uh, you see more movies probably than anybody I know. Except for David Edelstein. So. Just one quick thing about Boyhood you know that's interesting to me is that one of the characters who could actually have been the lead was his own daughter, Richard Linklater's mm-hmm. own daughter, mm. Lorelai, who was a fascinating character to yeah. me that she starts off being such a sort of fractious mm-hmm. kind of, uh, you know, in competition with her mother and sort mm-hmm. of everything about her. And it's a fascinating paradigm to think that this movie is called Boyhood mm-hmm. and that you're making the reference and saying, well, you know, that doesn't interest me because it's a boy movie. But actually mm-hmm. the, the female character 
his sister, you know, is like the most complex character in herself. Mm-hmm. And she's interesting in real life because she, she couldn't, she didn't want to stick with it. She, she wanted, wanted to be killed off. off. She, she, she wanted, wanted, wanted to be, be killed off. Killed <laughs> off so she to keep and, and then she oh, decided wait. to come back in. She was persuaded to come back in. And now she says she's really glad she did. And, and she's interesting right to the very end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Her, her appearance at the end of the movie is that her sense of herself is such an interesting character to me. I also think that the, I watched the movie for the second time last night, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and and my feelings were confirmed that it is almost as close to being the story of Patricia Arquette as it is to the story, uh, story yeah. Yeah. I, of anybody else. That was yeah. I I didn't have very strong feelings about the sister so much, but I did really enjoy the mother story. Although yeah, I did yeah. get a little frustrated yeah. with her, but just like I, you get I, frustrated I, with real people for doing weird, bad things all the time. I sometimes wonder about things like, you know, was this a title by committee kind of thing? Right. You know, the, the distributor maybe well, right. suggested. Was, they wanted to call it 12 it, Years, though. Yeah, that's and, right. Um, and then, and that they, was taken. Yeah, no, I think that would have been. For other reasons. Right, exactly. As you would say, too close. <laughs> too close. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, but I would agree about uh, Grand Budapest Hotel is, is something that I, I think Wes Anderson is a is an iconoclastic artist yeah. with a real credentials, and I think that he would deserve it absolutely so he has no chance of winning um, <laughs> but um, maybe too weird <laughs> yeah I, I you know I'll just I'll just say one thing about boyhood I mean I watched it again last night and with um, quite a few months in between uh, the first time we watched it and I mean it does first of all have a little bit of the problem that everybody's um, ascribing right now to the entire academy I mean it's about four straight white people um, and, and there really isn't much more than that but I, it's, it really is an incredible movie particularly to the, to the degree to which time is a character I mean the, he has made time a ca- mm-hmm. you can yeah, feel time true. turning these pages yeah. and I've just never seen a movie where anybody's done anything like that before and I, I think it holds up in other ways uh, but I will say I think that's probably the last time I'm going to watch Boyhood. I think I probably have mm-hmm. – I didn't feel like, oh, well, there's some more stuff I can get out of this. Uh, I, think, I think I kind of get it. And uh, I, don't, I don't feel that way about Grand Budapest Hotel. Of course, I'm not in my right mind about that. So <laughs> uh, We have to take a break here uh, very quickly. Uh, I want to look at some tweets. Uh, actually, Ben tweets, Tanisha, there was no better movie this near than, year than Snowpiercer. <laughs> uh, and uh, John tweets, uh, for added measure, the Selma snubs came out on Martin Luther King's birthday. Right. This is true. A, uh, a couple of people have tweeted to say that France has awarded uh, James Taylor the equivalent of a knighthood in arts and culture. He's highly respected in Europe, and he's about to launch a tour in Paris. So he just started like a day early, that's all. Uh, all armed with photos from local rotos With their hair in ribbons and legs in tights Hooray for Hollywood You may be homely in your neighborhood But if you think All right, here we are. We are back. With us are James Hanley uh, and Teresa, Teresa, Tanisha Dugan and Teresa Kramer. You, you can it's understand the problem I'm having here. Uh, also, boy, boy man and birdhood. <laughs> um, you see, it's I just it's too much. Uh, all right, so uh, we're going to begin this segment. We I've been thinking about this for a few weeks, be, ever since sort of early to mid December when this word started to kind of make the rounds, and I was thinking, should we do a show about it? Should we just have a day here at the office where we all dress that way? What should we do? What should we do about lumber sexuals? 
Isn't that a song? What should we do with a lumber sexual? What should we do with a lumber sexual? Uh, what should we do with lumber sexuals? So what are lumber sexuals? Well, from an Atlantic magazine article describing them, the first one I met was at an inauguration party in 2009. I was in a cocktail dress. He was in jeans, work boots, and a flannel shirt. He had John Henry tattooed on his bicep. He was white somehow at a fairly elegant affair. He had found a can of PBR. That's half blue ribbon. Since then, they've multiplied. You can see them in coffee shops and bars and artisanal butchers. They don't exactly cut down trees, but they might try their handed agriculture and woodworking, even if only in the form of window box herb gardens. In the last month, these bearded, manly men even earned themselves a pithy nickname, the Lumbersexuals. Gear Junkie coined the term only a few weeks ago. Since then, Jezebel Gawker of The Guardian and Time have jumped in to analyze their style. BuzzFeed even has a holiday gift guide for the Lumbersexual <laughs> in your life. He would apparently like bourbon-flavored syrup and beard oil. Um, <laughs> beard oil? <laughs> I think I just heard a little cree de cour coming from, from James over there. So, um, And then to top things off, the news came out this week, and then I knew we sort of had to do something. There's now Lumber Match, a niche online dating site for lumbersexuals. <laughs> I assume it's so how you find a lumbersexual. Mm-hmm. I mean, there aren't lumbersexual women, I don't think. Are there lumbersexual women? I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm asking. I'm looking at you. I'm, I'm not I mean, cause, it, not because you're a lum- Actually, Tanisha is more lumbersexual today <laughs> than are you. I'm but, an ammo sexual do, today. Do, do, you think, yeah. do, do you think that, you, that there are female lumbersexuals? I don't. Oh, man, that's tough because I I feel like the beard is such an integral part of it that if you can't be a bearded lady, I mean, really, you're just like a lumber sexual groupie or something. I don't really know how that works. If you are a lumber sexual and you're okay, give us a call at 860-275-7266. That's 860-275-7266. So we don't know that. But I think this is sort of a – it is a meme or an idea or a cultural thing that's worth parsing a little bit. I think it does have some interesting content and I I, I do subscribe to – the, our theory that I think was advanced in that Atlantic article, but before we hear my theories, let's hear everybody else's. So, uh, so Tanisha, you are <laughs> you you went lumbersexual as much as you could today, as you much know, as an African American woman. It's going to be honest. very hard for you to pull this off. I but. wear plaid shirts pretty often these days, but I think it's because it's the season, mm-hmm. and um, you know. Santa is the original lumbersexual, <laughs> so the season for lumbersexuals is coming to an I end, had, and I, I feel really like thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Mrs. Mrs. Claus, those would be Sneak the uh, attack on the culture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think that you know, I happen to love a beard, a good beard. So Santa's a, Santa's a lumber sucker. He's like hanging around Brooklyn the rest of the year yeah. and just, you know. Well, probably. So, you know, <laughs> your Brooklyn reference brings up a question for me. Like at which point did lumber sexuals sort of just split off from hipsters in general who are also fans of facial hair and – and flannel. I, think I, it's I don't. The commitment to flannel and suspenders. Like yeah. you, ha- it's got to be like <laughs> it's an a everyday daily commitment. Thing. It's, it's super woodsman. Yeah. What are, I what think it's the it? creation of image, so that people who are not quite sure can actually know what you need to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I also think there's a vague sort of societal, general societal discomfort. Not I hesitated amongst the, uh, everybody, but a discomfort about uh, about bears in the gay community mm-hmm. that bears are somehow vaguely threatening in some way um, in that that this is like, how can it be that large gay men uh, with beards can somehow be interesting or, you know, mm-hmm. like like something that the general society could pay attention to? And so it's sort of like taking that image and somehow slightly like, like sanitizing it, mm-hmm. introducing um, kind of fractious things like beard oil and mm-hmm. things that <laughs> I, I – 
they might well do their job, but 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 it bothers me to think of how probably really hard it is to wash it out and things like that. <laughs> you know, the, the practicalities like that. But you know, very often these things become sort of images, really, that are created, and the whole idea of. Um, uh, creating an image that can be linked to a word that then right. goes viral, right. it 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 makes it broadly available to a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't understand it, and then it then it has this kind of yeah. like quality that's out there that doesn't necessarily relate to a reality that anybody really is that. Right. It's like it's almost like a party costume, well, except like that you have to grow a beard to right. do it. I mean, it, to me, it feels like the derivative of metrosexual, yes. right? Yeah. So right. metrosexual is the straight way of dressing well, and right. lumbersexual and, is... And, and, and being able to claim that you're not gay. Right, yeah. exactly. Right. And lumbersexual is sort of the... Uh, straight way of I'm saying... I'm a bear, but I'm not gay. Exactly, right. exactly. And I really care about... T-shirt, there's a T-shirt there. All right. Let me grab a call from uh, Mark in New Haven. Hi, Mark. You're on the air. Hey, Colin. How are you? Good. Um, so I have a theory that I'm going to share with you all about, about the lumbersexual. I think it's quite clearly that fashion is always trying to figure out what to do with the world's best clothing item, which is the, the flannel plaid shirt. So, you know, 20 years, 25 years ago when I was in high school, the, the, the mode was preppy. If you were wearing your L.L. Bean flannel plaid shirt, that was a preppy signifier. Then early 90s when I was in college, it moved into grunge. Now they're calling it lumbersexual. But, I mean, the reality is there's nothing better to wear than a really comfy, well-worn flannel plaid shirt. Amen. And mm-hmm. nobody wants to just say that that's just a, a guy or girlfriend or human thing to wear. New York City and, and Paris, the runways have to do something with it, and GQ has to do something with it. So they tart it up in, in, in you know, they, they make it a la mode, but it's, it's not. It's just the thing that we should all own about 20 of and that should be the required garb of every school and office. <laughs> all right. Uh, first of all, this is clearly Mark Oppenheimer, not just any Mark. Uh, Nobody else would have such a strong theory of the flannel shirt. Well, no, I, I, I have an even more, I, at least I have a less benign theory of this whole thing. So, um, But that was Mark Oppenheimer, an occasional nose panelist in his mm-hmm. own right. So my theory about this is, first of all, my overarching cultural theory on the list of Colin McEnroe's theories of cultures, the number one item is we celebrate a thing when it's dying. You know, So like Wild West shows, Buffalo Bill Cody and Wild West shows, they, they came at the end of the American frontier. You know, they really were about a thing that really wasn't going to exist quite that way anymore. And you could sort of see that time after time after time. Anytime we're really excited about something. I mean, you know, there were shows like Twin Peaks and Picket Fences right at the time when every quirky American town was becoming homogenized and, you know, every single one was going to have a CVS and a, you know, and a, this and a, and a, you know, Barnes and Noble or whatever. So anyway, I think we're celebrating a thing that's basically dying, you know, which is that m- men are uh, note the dismissive tone uh, <laughs> that was extended towards the movie Boyhood. Men are less and less relevant. They're, the kind of work they do is less and less relevant. They're, young men are less employable uh, than they used to be. Uh, and, and there's a lot of male anxiety right now. I, James, I had not really thought about male anxiety vis-a-vis bears, but that's just a, another source of possible male. I, but I think it's a response to anxiety to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. This is how I would dress if, you know, if the old male role still existed, mm-hmm. you know, if the, this is one of the things I could be, I could be this kind of guy, you know, but really that work barely exists in any way. I don't, don't want to do it. I would spend four years at a liberal arts college, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> so even if it did exist, I wouldn't want to do it. But this is like a role, you know, a role that d- doesn't exist anymore. And so they're dressing up. They're dressing up as this thing, you know, even as 
that thing becomes at a whole bunch of different levels less mm. and less relevant. Well, e even if it does all end, I'm not taking off my beard and I'm not ironing the plaid shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but no, see, you get I, you, but see, I do think bears get to they get to mine this whole other area too, you know, or mine the same area in a different way, right? This, like this is a way in which we can step into a kind of unanticipated. That's role true. For us. Yes, I think so. I think it's it's like the passing this the passing spotlight kind mm. of thing mm. that suddenly suddenly illuminates it. But I think that it the, the, the there is that sense of it being like this is the thing for now, and 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 it has that kind of uh, extension from a reality. But you know, as Tisha is saying, I mean, if 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 you're comfortable and you're comfortable the way you are, and a shirt. The, the, that is becomes a fashion icon that somehow becomes symbolic of something else. That's not going to change how you actually dress. That's comfortable for you and expresses how you feel and how you act. And um, I mean, I'm not going to take off my beard. I, I like it <laughs> and I like the way it feels and all of that. And so it's part of you and it's running in parallel, as it were, to this universe that pops up all of a sudden mm -hmm. that is that, that, that suddenly becomes named and suddenly becomes a theme on the internet. I mean, it's, it's a response to change. Anxiety is – you about yes. to say something? Yeah. I saw a little hand gesture mm -hmm. there. But you know, are, you, are you, as you uh, uh, look at the back of your baby's head, um, <laughs> have, you, have you been watching Transparent at all? On, uh, I haven't seen it yet, um, there, but there I've is heard an, a lot about it. There is in Transparent uh, an unmistakably lumbersexual character. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he just mm -hmm. absolutely looks the part of a lumbersexual, except that he's a female-to-male transsexual, and right. he has not had, as they say, the lower surgery. So he's a vagina. Now, if you want a, a better – I couldn't imagine a better symbol of the kind of anxiety we're talking about right, right now. Right. <laughs> that's, like, that's a good point. I agree with that. Yeah, you know, what, totally. what, what are male roles? What are what, – you yeah. know, exactly. That's – there you've got it. It's yeah. also a digging in of Americana. I mean, if I think of like a lumbersexual and what – when I look at them, I mean, there's mm -hmm. nothing more all-American than this Paul Bunyan-esque. Mm -hmm. kind yeah. of image um, and it's right in line with where we are right now with this sort of local everyone is a maker and a creator and we're all sort mm -hmm. of you know going back to our American yeah. roots so to speak it really to me speaks to that kind of anxiety as much as it is about yeah, it's, manly it's kind of comforting and threatening at the same right. time and that's a very disturbing thing for a lot of people I mm -hmm. think. All right. I, if there were more time, I think I would do the second – the second part of this is a conversation <laughs> about so-called amosexuals. Um, and and th this is – this didn't come from them. You know, In other words, the, 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 the origin of the term seems to have been a somewhat disparaging one uh, about people whose identities are so wrapped up in guns you know, and, and uh, that they're – and Bill Maher was one of the first people to use it. So you know it's disparaging. Uh, but <laughs> – but I actually am not sure that it's going to stay disparaging. And we mm. did uh, read this week about so-called gunty clubs, which are these kind of high-end, <laughs> fancy uh, places. Gone are the folding chairs, stale coffee, and drab settings of some mom-and-pop gun range. The idea now is to compete for entertainment dollars with golf and country clubs, nightclubs, and movie theaters, which have also gone high-end with leather chairs and mixed drinks. Miami's Lock and Load, which offers themed machine gun packages, including one with Israeli Special Forces weapons, is the uh -huh. number one ranked activity in the city on TripAdvisor. Um, ranges are, are even becoming a new place to take clients for lunch and squeeze off a few rounds. Uh, people have always wanted to squeeze off a few rounds during lunch, but it used to mean something different. Um, you know, the lifestyle part of it I totally get, but there's something so scary about the idea that your gun is a wearable. Like, yeah. because yeah. all of these other references really are to fashion. Mm -hmm. And so, like, the idea that we have now applied 
guns to fat. Like this is my well. That's watch. sort of the point <laughs> of the amosexual, right? It's not. It's not about a gun as a utilitarian thing that you use because someone's trying to kill you. It's something you like post pictures of yourself with on Facebook to look cool. And right, because you couldn't yeah. show your penis. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> because they take those pictures down. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I do think that this is a term that actual amosexuals will em- embrace. They mm-hmm. may not like it initially, but they'll they will like it. Mm-hmm. And it is. It's this. It's the same dynamic a little bit of the scary made comforting, you know, yeah. the um, – in other words, what, what they what – they, what they would want to do is stop being gun nuts because there's right. a mm-hmm. mental picture you have of a gun nut and he's wearing camo and he's got some kind of, you know, feed cap or something and and, there's, and he's got way too many guns. And, and, and so there's this notion that I could be an amosexual um, – <laughs> You know, I mean, I guarantee you they will quickly embrace this. I so. sure hope not because it is incredibly subversive <laughs> and could just work. Old best of all. Because we all then. like sexy. <laughs> all right. So um, we're going to take a break here so we'll have time for endorsements. That will give us time. If you want, you could even – I think Teresa might even endorse what was going to be one of our other topics had we had the time. Uh, the uh, Well, we'll tell you about it when we come back. Why should we tell you now? Then you'll just go on and do something else. All right, so we're back. Usually during this time, uh, Kylan Wolf has uh, some thank yous, uh, so I'll have to sort of recreate them right now. So uh, who bailed us out here today? It seems to me that we were bailed out uh, variously uh, by Katie Tularski, who took over the board. Uh, Betsy Kaplan is in there producing as well. Who's our intern there? I can't see. Is that Katie McAuliffe in there? I can't see who that is. Um, and uh, so thanks to everybody who helped out today. Greg Hill, of course, uh, is our Twitter master. You can tweet us at WNPR Colin, WNPR Colin. You can email me at Colin, C-O-L-I-N, at WNPR. I'm sure there's lots of other people to thank. And I'm sure the part of Bill Curry today was played by Ethan Hawke. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who he played. And uh, you don't forget to visit our website, WNPR.org. We'll have links to a lot of the th- things that came up on the show today, including some of the endorsements. I think at WNPR.org. So don't be shy. Visit us there. And there's a there's a menu that just shows. You can just drop that down, find the Colin McEnroe show, and you're off to the races. Okay, so time for endorsements. Um, all right, James, you go first. Um, well, a couple of things. My favorite film, well, one of my favorite films, there are quite a few, is Interstellar. And one of the things <laughs> where <laughs> we are actually going to be showing it on film, a uh, 70-millimeter film. We just made a deal to uh, borrow one of Christopher Nolan's 70-millimeter uh, physical film. And oh, we're wow. one of the last places with film projectors. And so we'll be showing that uh, January 28th through 31 at Sony Studio. And it really is kind of historic because I don't think you'll be seeing a new 70-millimeter film. Maybe maybe Christopher Nolan will do his next one. Who knows? But um, it's become too costly. And so we felt this was an important thing to show. And I, I, I could talk for a lot on that film, but it's a, I, I think it's a very profound film, actually. The other thing I wanted to endorse is an amazing book to me. I've always been fascinated with Berlin, Germany and its history. There's a new book called Gay Berlin by Robert Beachy. 
which is uh, starts in the 19th century and looks through the whole uh, right up to the Nazi era and beyond. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely extraordinary, just a, an amazing story of culture and how culture can change and how it's linked with freedoms and how people are perceived and how it, it, it's, it's somewhat salutary in thinking of the way we live now and the assumptions we make now. An amazing book, Gay Berlin. Um, I just want to say that, um, uh, first of all, I hate Interstellar with the power of a thousand black holes. I, mean, I really, really don't like that movie. However, I, I think what's really important here, and I, I meant to say, I, I want to say it now so I don't forget. You know, around this time of year, the, I'm just reminded, go and visit your various independent cinemas where they have really good equipment and really good, interesting films. Because, in fact, had you gone to Trinity Cine Studio or had you gone to Real Arways, you know, you would have seen some of the nominated films already. Some films don't make any sense at all, really, <laughs> unless you see them big. If you don't see Mr. Turner on a big screen, don't bother. You know, see it on a big screen with really good equipment where they change out the lamps on a regular basis and, the, and James has taught me so much about projectors and stuff. And just a lot of these theaters, the multiplexes, they're not well run, they're not well maintained. And seeing it on your 46-inch Samsung, there's some things you can do that with, but there are really some things that you can't. In the case of Interstellar, it won't matter. This movie makes no sense no matter what you do. But, um, <laughs> but you should go see it anyway. Just go see it. If you're going to go, go see these things. On, and, then, and then keep your eye on the schedules for James's things, for Bantam Cinema, Madison Cinema, mm -hmm. Real Artways. They have a lot of these movies. I mean, you, you could have seen some of the movies that are already nominated right now. I think you're right. The Boyhood might be another movie that really doesn't do quite as well <laughs> if it's not on a great big huge screen. So go to those movie theaters. All right. Tanisha Dugan. Um, I'm going to endorse um, Heartbeat because we are in the middle of a really incredible renaissance. We are taking our ethos as a um, theater company that really is committed to local work and local artists, and we are reaching out into our world. And so we, we've got some Obie winners, uh, Obie winning playwrights that are coming through our doors, some brand new actors who are really fresh on the scene, um, really making some noise um, downtown Brooklyn and many of them are starting to poke their heads onto Broadway so we're very excited about what we're up to and this weekend we're running the last weekend of Sugar uh, by Obie Award winner Robbie McCauley um, looking at two new playwrights next Thursday with our Healthy Happy Hour so really great exciting new works happening at Heartbeat and I want to invite you guys all to come and sort of follow us and, and check us out on this journey because it's a really exciting time for us um, and then I am going to endorse um, bottled iced coffee. Ooh, bottled <laughs> iced coffee. <laughs> Particularly from Blue Bottle Company. They've started to sell their iced coffee in the freezer section. Uh, and it has been a lifesaver and a little taste of summer mm. uh, during these winter days. All right. Um, uh, what have you got for us? Well, Producer I would start Cameron. by uh, endorsing the subject we didn't get to, which is um, shipping your enemies glitter as <laughs> retribution for all they have done to you. Um, I don't. I, I still. I mean, this guy started this website to do it, and it was so mm -hmm. flooded that he basically said he wished he'd never started it. And, right. And, and he Which kind of I think is it. ridiculous because if you can make a lot of money just dumping some glitter into an envelope and shipping it to someone, you don't. Which is why I think either one, he just never intended to actually do it, or two, 
it's just a marketing ploy, him complaining, and then you're just going to – people are just going to troll him by, <laughs> right. by yeah. paying him yeah. more money to do this. Well, we could talk about that for hours, but we don't have hours, unfortunately. All right. What did you really want to endorse? I really wanted to endorse in, um, in the vein of Selma being snubbed a book called uh, Dreamer by Charles Johnson, which is a fictionalized account of the last days of Martin Luther King as seen through the eyes of someone who I assume didn't really exist, um, who uh, a guy who is a criminal but happens to look a lot like Martin Luther King and gets hired as his sort of body double to mm. be sent into dangerous situations. And it's just really interesting. And the thing I, re- I read it in college and the thing I remember about it was the sense of um, uh, sort of isolation and great, great, great pressure that he was under in those last, like, those last days. Um, I'm going to endorse, since Tanisha endorsed a coffee product, I will endorse a coffee product, <laughs> and that is George Howell Coffee. Uh, it's very hard to find. You have to look around. You have to, uh, and it's this guy is like has some level of commitment about coffee and finding coffee beans and climbing up mountains, and you know, I mean, and 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 you really have to retune your taste buds a little bit if you're used to other kinds of coffee that you might be getting it. I mean, if you've been drinking a lot of Starbucks coffee, which you shouldn't be doing probably anyway, you're gonna really have to. But anyway, they're really amazing coffee beans, and it's like part of a whole adventure I'm on right now that's probably more annoying than anything else, except to me. Um, And then the other thing is, okay, I really struggle with um, reading novels these days just because there's so much reading that I have to do for the show. And, you know, it's like I have to find some way to make myself read novels. And when the Oscar nominations come out, I'm almost aware of the fact that because I have this self-competitive streak where I think, okay, well, I'm going to see all the Oscar nominated. I will see every Oscar nominated movie. And I do every year. So I thought, how could I transfer that over into reading, which would be good? And so I've got something, and it's uh, courtesy of the site The Morning News. Um, actually, I'm going to take it from over here because I'm just, uh, The Morning News, which is a great website anyway. And they have this sort of – every year they do a tournament of books, and they do it kind of – they do it in March at the time of March Madness. And they do these brackets, and they put the books in brackets, and then they sort of bring <laughs> one book forward and all this kind of stuff. And so um, – uh, they've got 16 novels, all of which were our 2014 novels. Uh, some of them include All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr, which I'm reading right now, simply because I want to be part of this bracket. Because like, <laughs> that, I'm so simple and I'm so uh, easily manipulated that this can get me to do it. So A Brief History of Seven Killings by Marlon James, which mm-hmm. I would want to read anyway. Redeployment by Phil Clay, which just won the National Book Award. Station 11 by Emily St. John Mandel, which was a nominee for the National Book Award. The Bone Clocks, which I think James has read by David Mitchell. Um, and, and so on. And Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer, who was on our show from New Haven last year. The Paying Guest by Sarah Waters. So you've got sort of 16 pretty cool novels and because I like competitive things and making myself do things that are sort of fitted to some kind of framework I know I'm going to try to knock off as many of these novels as I can in between now and the time the tournament starts we'll probably do a show on the tournament too but anyway I encourage you to get that list from the morning news and uh, and think about participating in the tournament of books. All right. Thanks so much to Teresa, Tanisha and James. We'll be back on Tuesday actually with the scramble. I already said that one, Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 yeah.